expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week. A roundup of the top news stories from around the island over the past seven days. I'm Keith Manconi of ICRT News. Joining me in studio is Ross Feingold, Senior Advisor for DC International Advisory. Ross, thanks for joining us today. Good evening. And uh, by phone, we have ICRT's correspondent from Central Taiwan, Donovan Smith. Donovan, thank you. Hi. And, uh, well, there is a typhoon outside, so thank you guys both very much for uh, making it through, braving the rains, and uh, joining the show. Today on the show, we'll be talking about the Philippines getting its day in court over disputed claims in the South China Sea, migrant workers getting a boost to their call for increased wages, and the island of Taiwan getting some big changes to its transportation network. But first, the response to the Formosa Fun Coast fire is gathering force with now more than 1 billion NT donated to help victims. Uh, It's a huge response. But meanwhile, though, uh, the condition of many of those victims is only deteriorating. Uh, According to figures released yesterday, a total of 420 remain hospitalized, while 224 are now listed in critical condition. Uh, The number in critical condition has actually risen uh, since last week. Uh, And and just based on my uh, understanding uh, of burn injuries, this this is kind of how they go, is they get worse before they get better. And uh, we've had a, a number of doctors tell us that even though uh, we've only seen three people succumb to these injuries so far. Uh, that number is expected to rise. Uh, is that right, Donovan? Yes, that's correct. Now, McKay Hospital uh, released figures. Now, they said that they have 50 water park explosion victims being treated there, of whom 34 are severe burns over 50% of their body. Now, they think that the, of those 34 people, that about 10 will probably pass away. Now, that, that jives actually with a number that I got from... Um, uh, a user on the Taiwan News in English uh, Facebook page who said that a doctor using uh, told him that using the standard percentage burn ratio calculations that an estimated 40 deaths would be predicted using a standard model, which actually jibes very, very closely with the numbers issued from McKay, uh, so which, would, which I extrapolated would be somewhere between 30 and 50 uh, if applied to the full, to the full 200, and, uh, uh, 200 and some odd uh, that are 224 that are still listed in critical condition. Right. So uh, this is a this is a human tragedy that's really only beginning to unfold. And uh, as I mentioned, more than 400 are still in hospital. So you know, we're, this is really pushing the resources of Taiwan's uh, medical establishment to the brink, uh, which is why uh, many eyebrows were raised when the Ministry of Health and Welfare declined offers from foreign doctors to come over to Taiwan and ease the burden uh, faced by those overwhelmed hospitals. Uh, uh, Ross, I mean, this has stirred up a little bit of controversy. Uh, just just take us back a little bit. Why, why did the government say that it couldn't allow these doctors over? Yeah, there, there's several aspects to this. One is, is a very simple regulatory aspect about letting uh, people who are not locally licensed to practice a profession, and that would apply not just in, in the medical profession, but other kinds of professions that might require specialized training and, and licenses such as, say, architecture, or engineering, law, et cetera, and, and medical is certainly something that, that would fall into that group of, of, of professions and uh, it's certainly something that you have even more concerned about because they're dealing with uh, injured uh, or in some cases ill uh, patients. Uh, but, but the other way to look at this is more 
the the public relations aspect and, and relationship with, with uh, Japan, which was one of the countries that was eager to uh, offer its assistance. Uh, so there there was probably some element of, of the local doctors feeling that uh, this was a bit of a slight against their talents. And I don't think that was the case at all. It's rather Japan just trying to be a good neighbor and reciprocate the, the aid that Taiwan provided in the earthquake in 2011, which uh, was, was uh, something Japan was genuinely appreciative of and has expressed that to Taiwan in, in, on many, many occasions. Uh, no one was suggesting that these Japanese doctors were going to uh, have full discretion and responsibility over the care of the injured. And this is a, a very specialized area of, for, of burn care. So where you have people with some specialized expertise who could accompany the local doctors as they treat the patients, uh, it's a good thing. And uh, I think it's a little disappointing that there was such a rush to, to initially say no and, and offer a somewhat bureaucratic regulatory reason instead of saying, that's great, please come and uh, please accompany the doctor, the local doctors as they visit the patients. Uh, and if there was no need for this, if, if there was no specialized expertise that could help uh, that's available in other places, you know, doctors would never travel for seminars and, and conferences. So to suggest that there's no knowledge that foreign doctors could bring that would assist in this situation is just incorrect. Mm. And uh, just a little bit of an update. Uh, yesterday, four Japanese medical experts uh, on burn treatment uh, announced that they will be coming to Taiwan this weekend. Uh, so they're going to just be providing consultation, though. Uh, the law still yeah. bars them from directly uh, being involved with treatment. Uh, Donovan, what, what were you about to say? Well, the, these four are coming on top of two that arrived last week. But what's interesting <laughs> is that it's the... It's local bureaucrats said that they 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 need to be they have to stick to the bureau, to the to the consultative role. Um, but interestingly, uh, posted up on Taiwan Law Blog was uh, some some legal uh, loopholes where they could actually uh, work. And then also the president specifically asked them and and stated that there were ways that they could actually uh, apply their talents, but. Uh, his bureaucrats under him uh, apparently disagreed. Mm. Right. So this is, I, I think, generally being seen uh, by critics as just kind of unnecessary, arbitrary. Uh, when you know Taiwan really uh, could use the help. So uh, we're we're, we're going to see how this unfolds. Uh, uh, there's uh, some talk of uh, memorandums of understanding being signed and maybe some progress being made towards uh, making this an easier process in the future. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye on it. Uh, up next, uh, we are. Uh, still kind of looking, the investigation into the accident continues uh, to figure out where exactly uh, responsibility should be pinned. Uh, Donovan, how, how, where has that progressed to at this point? Well, the problem is it, it's totally unclear because you have the venue, um, but they obviously didn't throw the powder. Then the party was organized by another company, but it was promoted by a third one. So, you know, and then there's a lot of issues with the actual venue itself, uh, they were in the pool, and uh, access by ambulances was down a little narrow, narrow track. So it, it, it seems like the, the you know it, it's a little bit hard to pin down is, is sort of the impression that's coming out. Right. So uh, you know, a lot of people were involved in this. It's it's going to be hard to say exactly uh, who is the main culprit. Um, Another interesting uh, thread to follow up on is, uh, as I mentioned in the lead-up to this, uh, now uh, more than a billion NT 
uh, in aid has been donated from all around Taiwan, all around the world, really. Uh, and uh, Donovan, can you tell us a little bit about where that's coming from and where it's going? Well, the donations are going specifically to the Taipei, uh, the Taipei, uh, sorry, the new Taipei uh, government, um, and, and they've got yeah, one point zero three billion. Now, they they're actually looking right now at using a lot of that, some or or all of that money uh, to co- compensate burn victim family members who've taken unpaid leave from work. Um, now, civil servants have already been allowed to take twenty days paid leave to take care of their families, but. Uh, people who are in the private sector or are have not they've had to take off unpaid uh, they have to take unpaid leave so that's that's quite a burden on those families and uh, I would add it's also going to be a burden on on new Taipei government in, to manage this large amount of money and do so in a transparent way when when they're also simultaneously dealing with all the other issues related to this terrible tragedy whether it's uh, pursuing the, the responsible parties, uh, care for the injured, et cetera. Now they also have this this uh, enormous financial responsibility, and of course the public will want to uh, be certain that their donations are, are being used in, in appropriate and proper ways. Right. Uh, so, you know, like I said, I, th- th- there are so many threads to this and, and, and so many things for the government to be managed. So uh, this perhaps will be a real uh, test of uh, how it responds uh, to this terrible tragedy. Uh, but we're going to have to leave that story for now. And while there may be a typhoon in the waters north of Taiwan today, uh, no matter how rough that gets, they are still no match for the turbulence of the South China Sea. This week, the territorial dispute between the Philippines and China over that region moved into the legal realm when the Philippines began its case at the Permanent Court of Arbitration in The Hague. The Philippines is arguing that the court should step in to resolve the conflicting claims. Uh, But for now, this is still very much just uh, early days in the proceedings. The Philippines is trying to argue that the court even has jurisdiction. So, I mean, that's the the big question right now, whether or not it even has jurisdiction. Uh, And now, of course, this dispute involves a lot of different countries, including Taiwan. Uh, But let's shelve that for a second and just focus on uh, the proceedings at hand. And so far, uh, China's way of dealing with this uh, seems basically to be to ignore it. It's, it's refusing to participate. It says uh, it won't abide by any ruling that comes out of it. The U.N. obviously has no body that it could enforce a ruling. Uh, so, uh, Ross, what is the Philippines trying to get out of it? Well, they are trying, as the other competing claimants are, to get some legal uh, basis um, from an international body to their claim, which would help their claim and... and Hopefully for the Philippines, it would help them with support from other countries, including the large powers like the United States, uh, with regard to these claims. But as you said, this is a procedural stage, and it's very possible that the justices of, of the court will reject the uh, uh, jurisdictional question and say that we do not have jurisdiction on this question. And then the issue simply goes away because the Philippines case will not proceed to be argued on its merits. What would, what would be the out for the court if, if they if they saw themselves as not having jurisdiction? What would be the argument there? Uh, well, it, it's a lot of uh, legal ease about what what the court's uh, authority is and, and whether or not this kind of dispute over this kind of claim is within the remit of the court. Uh, and, and it's possible the court could find a way to say that it's not and uh, not publicly but privately. They're, frankly, they're probably under enormous pressure. To, mm-hmm. to rule that way because uh, the, the, I think a lot of countries would be reluctant to uh, have China 
um, angry yeah. and, and not participate uh, in, in a case that's actually being tried. So if this case were to go to, to a full hearing, if the, the court at this stage was to find that it has jurisdiction, uh, we'd have an empty chair where China would be s- sitting. Right. Uh, so that would be very unusual given uh, what, what a large role China plays in the region and the world. Uh, so I, I would think that the justices are, are trying to find a way to get out of this. Um, so it, it certainly remains to be seen whether or not the case will actually even get to be heard on its merits. Uh, and if Philippines loses the jurisdictional question, um, it, it, unfortunately for the Philippines claims, would, would, would really set them back. Now, you mentioned a second ago that a lot of countries around the world are perhaps hoping that uh, this, this trial doesn't move forward, that it's just kind of scuttled. Uh, would Taiwan be counted among that? Or are they kind of hoping for, you know, just focusing specifically on, on, on this case going on right now at The Hague, uh, would Taiwan be among those that would see this as kind of a headache? Yeah, I, I would think that Taiwan, because it has competing claims with the Philippines as well, w- would not be eager for the Philippines to have a legal judgment um, that uh, asserts or, or confirms the Philippine sovereignty over some of these islands, uh, especially because Taiwan is shut out from these international forums. So uh, they would have a very weakened case for sovereignty uh, should the Philippines have a legal judgment that confirms the Philippine sovereignty. Uh, Donovan, anything um, that you wanted to add there? Yeah, yeah. What's interesting is what China, what China, what China has done a few things here. I mean, uh, as, as Ross mentioned, they, they, they don't, they're totally refusing to uh, acknowledge the jurisdiction of the court. Uh, and, but they, 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 now for their own, uh, pri- their own local consumption, they have reached out once again and said that we're, we, we're willing to uh, have bilateral talks with, um, with the Philippines. And secondly, now this is also imp- kind of important, is that actually it was the ROC government that made up the line in the first place. Um, so by saying that Taiwan has a, you know, has a stake in this, the, the, uh, China's essentially saying that, saying to Taiwan that, look, you know, the ROC government made this, this line up, so you have to be on our side on this one. All right. So, yeah, definitely a lot of ways to look at this dispute. Uh, moving on, and uh, before we go to break, I do want to touch on campaign politics briefly. Not a lot of time today, so I'm only going to uh, ask one question to both of you on this topic. Uh, you can take it however you will, uh, and then we're just going to keep moving. Uh, so as usual, uh, the more exciting action on this campaign uh, remains on the KMT side, at least to me. Maybe you guys don't agree, but that's where the action seems to be to me. And uh, the biggest overarching narrative uh, over the past several weeks, I would say, uh, is the apparent widening gap between prospective candidate Hong Shouju and the party center on, on a number of issues, but especially over cross-rate policy. Uh, but yesterday, uh, we did get reports that KMT lawmakers met with Hong, and uh, from the sounds of it, it was a kind of a productive meeting. Those lawmakers say that Hong uh, has agreed to stop pushing her one China, same interpretation formula, and uh, get more on board with uh, the 1992 consensus that the rest of the party is uh, on board with. Uh, and she's doing that in exchange for their support. That's what they're saying. We haven't really heard anything from Hong yet. Uh, okay, so that's a, a long preamble, but here's the question I want to put to both of you guys. Uh, how real is this divide between Hong and the rest of the party? Uh, and can it be bridged? And if not, uh, what is that going to mean uh, for her campaign? Uh, Donovan, uh, how about you take that first? Well, uh, the the difference between, uh, I mean, the gap between her and the, obviously the local factional politicians is massive. 
Um, now, how? But what, what I found really interesting is that while a lot of people uh, started talking about the KMT collapsing last week, a lot of the attention was on local factional politicians leaving the party uh, over her uh, stance. But really, what happened was is that two candidates, two incumbents, basically said, "I'm, uh, I'm just not going to run again." And they left kind of quietly, citing family issues, health issues, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> but what I think more alarming for the KMT is that actually her opinions are deep, deep blue, very sort of Taipei, New Taipei, up, up, up north. And there were two defections recently, and both of them were one in New Taipei, one to, bolting to the, the PFP, and then another guy leaving the party uh, saying that he was going to um, uh, consider the PFP, the new party, or an independent run. So they lost two candidates right in deep blue territory, and both of them are sort of, sort of what you would associate with being her camp. So there seems to be some gap between her even within the deep blues. So I, I think that there is a, a, a large gap there. Ross, what do you see going on here? Well, with the China issue, uh, as we've seen before, for example, when uh, Chairman Eric Zhu went to China, every time a candidate or a politician in Taiwan uses a different uh, wording uh, or a character, a different character in Chinese to describe uh, their conception of relations with China, it does cause a lot of controversy. So however somebody frames the relationship and, and when they do it in a new way, there will be somebody who, who gets excited and says you're changing it, whether it's the other party, whether it's China, whether it's the United States or, or in this case, people in their own party. I, I think it would be better if the focus was on practically what what does this conception mean and is it any different really from the party's current policy? Probably not. What I mean is if she were to be elected president, I think she'd probably pursue very similar policies with regard to China than any other KMT candidate who was elected would and that would probably be to continue to pursue agreements under ACFA and, and economic agreements, uh, whereas uh, I would expect a DPP president to move a little slower on those things. So practically, I, I'm not sure if Hong's idea of cross-strait relations is any different than the party central. It's mm -hmm. just a nomenclature, different mm -hmm. naming issue. What what might be the bigger issue, as you mentioned, is is maybe is a, a personality uh, and a different approach. Um, but maybe this is a good thing, right, that, that the party central – Headquarters does not boss the candidate. Uh, that, that could be healthy for democracy. Uh, in many democracies, it's not the case that the party central will dictate to the presidential candidates. In fact, that's how it is in the United States where uh, the central headquarters of the Democrat Party and the central headquarters of the Republican Party do not run the presidential campaigns. In fact, uh, they are quite separate and there's often legal barriers that separate the, the candidate from the, from the um, party central headquarters. Um, so it's not necessarily a negative thing. All right. Well, I said one question and I meant it. So we're going to keep moving. Uh, next week, the, she will likely be confirmed by the Central Standing Committee. But uh, that, you know, that big overriding question will be answered in just a week's time. So we'll have a whole lot more to say about all of this uh, on the next show. Uh, but for now, we're going to take a quick break. Be back in a few minutes with more news from Taiwan this week. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around the island. I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Donovan Smith and Ross Feingold. 
So far on the show, uh, we've done international politics, we've done national politics. Now, uh, let's go to something a little bit more mundane, or perhaps uh, practical. Practical is the word I'm looking for. Transportation. Getting from A to B, trains, planes, and automobiles, lots of those sorts of stories came up in the news over the past week or so. We're going to start in Taichung. Uh, which this Wednesday saw the end of the short-lived BRT, that is the Bus Rapid Transit System, and its replacement with what is being called Optimized Dedicated Bus Lanes. Uh, so we talked about this before, but uh, Donovan, remind those of us who don't live in Taichung, uh, what's being changed here? Well, essentially what's happened is the what used to be the BRT line, the BRT Blue Line is now being relabeled the Blue Route, um, and where before it was one... Uh, one bus, uh, one bus line, uh, or BRT line, uh, with stations where people would, would, uh, and the, the purpose of the stations that you'd, you'd pay using your card at the station so that you'd, uh, you'd board quickly and, uh, disembark quickly from, from the vehicle so then it would move on quickly. Now, what, what's happened now is that they've disabled the, the station part so that now they're basically just, uh, glorified bus shelters essentially. Um, and they now have eight routes with different starting points and different end points that sort of go down Taiwan Boulevard along that uh, express lane. So now it's, a de- it's still a dedicated bus lane, but now I believe there's uh, eight different routes uh, that, that ply that, um, that road. Now, the, uh, they've increased the number of buses that go down this uh, from 400-some-odd to 800-some-odd, and the city government says this is going to improve efficiency. Uh, so far, the last couple of days, things have run relatively smoothly, uh, minus uh, one car rear-ending a bus. And uh, they, the city hopes that this is going to be a more efficient system than the original BRT. Uh, time will tell on that, obviously. Right. And of course, uh, these changes uh, were made by the current mayor, Lin Jialong. Uh, the BRT is more closely associated with his predecessor, Jason Hu. And uh, when these changes were kind of put into effect, it was it was a big political issue. It was kind of seen as a slap in the face uh, of the legacy of uh, Jason Hu. Now that the change has actually been made, is that political issue still alive, Donovan? Yeah, I, actually, privately, I've, a lot of people have been saying that they they, they feel like uh, Lynn's been a little bit vindictive to to whose legacy. Now, whether that's true or not, I have no no idea. Um, what what he has done is that pretty much all of Jason, whose signature projects uh, that were have been reviewed, halted. Uh, some are being uh, removed completely. Some are being readapted, sort of like the BRT has been converted into more of a regular bus line. Uh, the Metropolitan Opera House, uh, Lynn's relabeled it a theater, uh, is what he's calling it. Um, we don't know if the Taiwan Tower is going to go ahead. That's still under review. The Dolphin, uh, the Dolphin Pavilion has been changed to an ecological coastal pavilion. Um, so it, it, there's a, there's been a lot of Lynn has been going moving forward with changing a lot of uh, Jason Hu's legacy. That's that's for sure. All right. Well, we're going to stay with transportation, but move to a story uh, that, uh, well, to be honest, uh, directly affects me and uh, those of us who work at ICRT. Taipei Mayor Ko Wenjia is once again floating the idea of relocating the Taipei Songshan Airport once the MRT route to Taoyuan is completed. Uh, the idea being that it's just going to take a little more than a half an hour to get from Taipei uh, out to, you know, what is a perfectly good international airport. Uh, so why take up all that good city real estate? And uh, 
Well, we at ICRT are waiting with bated breath for this uh, MRT route to get completed because it runs right past our studio, makes it a lot more easy to get into uh, Taipei. Uh, Ross, why, why is this coming back right now? Why, why are we talking about this now? Well, uh, as, as you said, uh, America has pointed out that with the soon uh, completion of the MRT line to the airport that uh, passengers could just as easily get to Taoyuan, so there'd be no need for a downtown airport. Uh, we also have the recent tragedy in February this year of a plane crash after it took off from Songshan Airport. There's always been concerns about uh, the, the potential for uh, tragedy in a, a densely populated, highly built-up area like the Taipei Basin, um, tall buildings, etc. And it's a gigantic property right in the middle of downtown, which could be used uh, as some of the past uh, proposals have, have been uh, as a parkland or for uh, housing, which, of course, there's a demand for affordable housing. I'm not sure the public is fully supportive of this. Uh, for example, past candidates in, in Taipei mayor elections included this in their platform, and uh, the public was not with them. Uh, the, the, so that was before we had so many cross-strait flights, and, and not just cross-strait flights now, but from Songshan, we also have flights to uh, Japan and other locations. It's it's a huge convenience to be able to go to Songshan Airport. Um, I'm not convinced the public wants to see it done away. I mean, maybe people who live nearby don't like having the airport, but uh, I, I don't think the uh, members of the public are eager to replace the convenience of going to Songshan Airport with uh, going to the much further away Taoyuan Airport. And uh, yes, the the train line to the airport to Taoyuan Airport is nearing completion, but that does not mean that Taoyuan Airport could pick up the extra capacity right away. It does need more uh, runway space, more more slots uh, for takeoffs and landings, more more terminal space. So, uh, America might be a bit premature in his prediction. Uh, I, it's not something I would expect to happen in his first term. Uh, maybe something he could look at if he's reelected to a second term. Uh, frankly, I think there's other issues that should be on the agenda rather than bringing this up again. Mm. And uh, just briefly, just so we can have a a little bit more of idea of what we're talking about here, uh, if we were to get rid of Songshan, what, what what would go there? I mean, I've heard about parks being there, maybe some kind of uh, development. Uh, what, what what are most people talking about? Uh, past candidates have have brought this up as a campaign issue. Uh, parkland was cited, but it, that might have been at a time when uh, there wasn't the concerns about the cost of housing. I, I think there'd be a big push for uh, large tracts of affordable housing to be built there, but. Uh, we've seen recently the difficulty that Taipei city government has. And that, that's not uh, a criticism of the new team under Mayor Ka, but just historically the difficulty the, the Taipei city government has in building large amounts of uh, public housing for affordable prices. Uh, and uh, you know, the people who could execute the most quickly on building housing would probably be uh, large property developers who are not going to be eager to do uh, more affordable housing. They want to do housing that's more in the pricing range for middle class or wealthy people. So if the land is reserved only for housing, I would expect lots of controversy and, and great difficulty with, with uh, uh, tendering and, and building. We'd be looking at a, a process that would take 5, 10, or maybe even 15 years for completion. All right. Well, uh, last up on the show today, we're going to move to our final story uh, last week's minimum wage hike for Taiwan workers went into effect, but those changes didn't cover everyone working in Taiwan. 
pay for foreign domestic workers remained untouched because their salaries are not covered by the Labor Standards Act. That's where the changes were made. So a lot of those workers, of course, feel that's unfair and、uh, have been demonstrating for their own wage increase. And now、uh, some of them are getting some support from their own governments. Uh, the Philippines and Indonesia both say that they will no longer verify employers' applications for domestic workers unless they offer a monthly wage of at least seventeen thousand five hundred NT.、Uh, current, the current minimum wage stands at、uh, about two thousand NT less than that. So basically, they're throwing their weight behind a, a wage hike. They're doing they're they're moving the little levers that they have to push in the direction of getting a wage hike for these workers. Uh, the Ministry of Labor has shot back. It's asking Jakarta and Manila to suspend these demands.、Uh, let's start on the Taiwan side here,、uh, Ross. Why why is it so hard for the government to to move on a wage increase for these workers? The biggest fear of, for, from government is political backlash by the, the Taiwanese families who employ these laborers and would have to pay. Additional money for for、uh, the domestic help. So, of course, many of these families are not affluent families. That's right, and, and very very often, just by by nature of the regulations, the the only people who could hire、uh, the domestic help are people who have ill、uh, family members in the home,、uh, whether it's due to injury or due to advanced age.、Uh, so、uh, people do genuinely need the help, and they, they don't want to pay more for it. So they they like the the frankly low wage structure. Uh, that exists now, so I think the the government's just afraid of political backlash. Although we know the the work that the, these uh, domestic uh, laborers do is very often twenty four hour uh, work. They they live with their employers. They're they're really on call twenty four hours.、Uh, so we, we know how hard they they work. It's it's very difficult to to accept that in a society as as well off as Taiwan that that the wage should be as low as the government would like to keep it. Right, and, and this is really an issue that is just going to stay with us with Taiwan's aging population. The demand for、uh, domestic workers is just going to go up and up and up. Uh, and uh, so, I guess in, in in the long run, some kind of a wage increase is is inevitable.、Uh, would you say that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and there, we have to keep in mind the foreign policy aspect.、Uh, and we've talked about some of the sovereignty disputes and, and issues where Taiwan and Philippines、uh, have things they want to negotiate with each other. Another important one is a fishery agreement that Philippines and Taiwan have been pursuing for a long time. So this is something that's very important to the Taiwan government. They. Want to get greater protections for the fishing fleet? There's been past incidents where Taiwanese fishermen have been uh, uh, even killed uh, or detained by Philippines authorities. So that's a very important issue. Whether it's to the current government or if it's not completed under President Ma's administration, the next government, regardless of who wins the presidential election, will want to have a fisheries agreement in place and signed with the Philippines.、Uh, so I'm not sure what Taiwan's negotiating leverage is if they want the Philippines to. Uh, enter into an agreement, but on 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 the other hand, there,、uh, the government here in Taiwan is being、uh, insistent on not raising the wage level to what the Philippines feels is a rather reasonable level.、Uh, then、um, it's going to be difficult to to see where we're going to have a, an agreement here. So. Uh, it, it's an interesting issue, not just because of the impact on, on on the domestic side with the families that employ these workers, but also、uh, for the foreign policy. All right. So as I said, you know, this is、uh, this is something that's going to be with it, with us for quite a while. It'll be interesting to、uh, see what the the Philippines and Indonesia does, and if Taiwan is you know willing to、uh, bend to the pressure.
last up, last last up for today, uh, for you podcast listeners out there, uh, we're sticking with uh, our weekly bonus story for you all. Uh, this week, uh, since Gavin's not here, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this story, and uh, today it's a happy one. A wrong turned right, you know, even though it was ten years after the fact. So, uh, what was this wrong? Stolen rocks. Dozens of stones were returned to a beach in eastern Taiwan after they had been snatched up ten years earlier. Apparently, the person who did the snatching, uh, their conscience got the best of them. Uh, it was a resident of Puzi uh, in Jiayi County who mailed the rocks to the East Coast National Scenic Area headquarters. Uh, they didn't put their name on the note, but they said in an accompany- accompanying letter that they had been attracted by the stone's beauty during a visit to the beach. Uh, but a few years later, the person learned from a news report apparently collecting stones uh, at the uh, scenic site was against the law, and so they wanted to return the stones in person. But, you know, you get you get busy, you get put out at work, so they kept on putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Uh, and it was only when uh, the issue popped into the person's mind again recently uh, that the individual decided to send the stones back to the National Scenic Area Administration, along, you know, with a bonus prize, 600 NT in cash as an apology for the mistake. I, I, I guess uh, that's if you put the interest on stones over 10 years, it comes out to 600 NT. I'm not sure exactly how that works. Uh, the administration has made that letter public, uh, and I think that for them, this is kind of a way of publicizing the fact that when you go to these scenic areas, you shouldn't muss them up. You shouldn't be stealing the rocks. They say uh, this particular area gets 900,000 tourists a year, and if everybody took just one stone, there would be no stones left. So uh, a good publicity stunt for them. Uh, Donovan, what did you take away from this story? Okay, last year, some uh, Zhanghua County uh, bureaucrats actually got into trouble over this and had to publicly apologize and send the stones back. Um, now, I'm not going to pu- publicly apologize for my stones. I'm keeping them. You you took stones, too? You're, you're outing yeah. yourself on, on national radio? A national podcast. You're I actually don't know if they were, they were from the scene again. So I, I don't. I don't think that I did anything terribly wrong. All right. Well, well, this very public. Your, your your secret is safe with us and all of our many listeners. Uh, we promise. <laughs> right. Uh, Ross, podcast, you haven't. Yes. Ross, you haven't stolen any stones, have you? No, I'm not as stoned as Donovan is, <laughs> but um, uh, I think we're, we're we are very fortunate in Taiwan to have such beautiful scenic parks. And, and Taiwan, to its credit, uh, has established these parks, frankly, a long time ago. Uh, so uh, these protected areas have been set up as places where people can go and enjoy nature. And, and that's one of the great things about living Taiwan, even when we're here in the big cities like Taipei or Taichung. We're never very far away from such beautiful places, and they do need to be protected. Uh, I hope the police um, pursue this uh, stone snatcher, and there's only one appropriate punishment for him if he's caught, which would be stoning. Public stoning. Yeah, yeah. that seems fair. That does seem fair. You Bob Dylan now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, we really can't hold it against the guy. You know what they say, everybody must get stones. <laughs> All right, we're going to leave it on that note. Uh, you can send us your thoughts on this week's major stories on the Facebook page or on our blog. You'll also be able to find this program online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. If you are listening through iTunes, please take a second to rate and review the show. Let's us know what you're thinking and helps other people discover the program. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I am Keith Manconi, joined by Ross Feingold. Thank you, Ross. Thank you. And joining us by phone, Donovan Smith. Donovan, thank you. And thank you. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. All along.